Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna. Uh, this week on the show, we are joined by The Athletic's Jesse Marshall. He will come on and lend his insight and expertise through the first two games of the regular season for the Penguins. The team is now 1-1 one and one through the only two games that are played between the Washington Capitals and Montreal Canadiens. By the time this podcast goes out, it will probably be Tuesday, October 9th. The Penguins won't be in action again until Thursday when the Vegas Golden Knights and Marc-Andre Fleury come to town for his annual return to Pittsburgh. But uh, there will be a lot more to talk about as the season gets underway. One thing that will be discussed in the Jesse Marshall interview is how the Penguins have looked through the first game uh, between the Penguins and Capitals. Defensive struggles and goaltending miscues have, have certainly dominated uh, the early season, the early season results for the Penguins. Uh, we are obviously going to be following and seeing if this is a continuing trend for the team as the season progresses, or if Matt Murray can clean his play up and the defense in front of him, for that matter, can shore up as well to deliver a much more consistent result. But to avoid from going on any longer, we are going to get you right into the interview with Jesse Marshall. So here it is, and we hope you enjoy. Joining us now on the Pensburg Podcast. He is a contributor for The Athletic. He is one of the foremost experts of Penguin Systems breakdowns, designs, and knowledge. And we are thrilled to be welcoming Jesse Marshall. Hey, Jesse, how's it going? Good. Uh, how long we've been? How long we've been talking about hockey on the internet now? Oh, too long. What do you think? I don't even know it's how long it's least, been. <laughs> it's a decade, right? Yeah, it's going on a decade from our days so. when we rode down the elevator with Ray Shero together. <laughs> Yeah. That, oh man, I forgot all about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that was the first time like in the press box with you, and like we were freaking out the whole time. Yeah, we definitely were. Like, holy crap, what are we doing here? <laughs> we kept it. We kept it professional. We kept it professional. Oh, always. Yeah, we were very buttoned up. So, uh, as we enter this 2018-19 season, Jesse, um, obviously now at the time of this taping, the Penguins have played one game, beating the Capitals in a 7-6, very wide-open game. What's kind of stood out to you, or what's what have you seen from camp that's carried over and kind of confirmed what you've been thinking about this Pittsburgh Penguins team so far? Um, I think that Chris Letang looked good uh, outside of maybe the first period. I think he looked good in the preseason. Uh, I think right now we're, a lot of people are in this mode where they want to highlight you know, some more minor, and, and let, let me be fair to, to the game, you know, Latang did have some pretty, pretty rough moments in the first 20 minutes of that contest against Capitals, uh, but I think the final 40 was really more representative of, I think, what you're going to get out of him this season. Uh, but I think people have kind of unfairly, in the preseason and in camp, put a microscope on him and have, you know, exploited, you know, really minor sort of hiccups that I don't think really affect the game in a super negative fashion, but I think everyone's just sort of waiting for the ball to drop. Um, so, you know, having watched that third, you know, the first period of that Capitals game, I might even sit on Twitter. I was like, no, this is not a good start for Crystal Zhang. But I think as the game went on, he kind of found his feet as did the rest of the team uh, up until those, you know, final two hiccup goals. So uh, I got to go with Latang on one because I mean, he was the star of the show. And then that third line, uh, we saw it in the preseason uh, in that final game against Buffalo, uh, the five, one, when that line just went crazy. Uh, and you, you had it had all the makings of something really annoying uh, for other teams. <laughs> I think just from the personality, of the players that are on there, you look at that and you think, oh, this I could see why this line would be so difficult. And they, that that was the second star of the game for me. Um, so seeing the Penguins have a, a competent third line that can control the game, um, they got back into it because of that line on opening night. So 
uh, moving forward into what will be tonight's game against Montreal, um, that's momentum you, you certainly hope to see uh, get carried over in both regards, and not only for Latang, but for that third line as well. Jesse, I want to piggyback off of what you were just describing about Chris Latang. I agree with you, and I think the good vastly outweighed the, the bad in terms of his performance on opening night. Uh, if you could go into a little bit more detail, I'm curious to see what what changes you saw from Latang's game. And and granted, it's only a one game sample size, so it's incredibly small. But can you um, pinpoint uh, a couple of changes in Latang's game that you saw in his performance uh, in the season opener that maybe you wouldn't have seen from Latang throughout last year's rocky season? I'll give you I'll give you two easy ones. I, I think the first one's puck management. Um, that that wasn't always there last season, but I think even that, as bad of a hiccup as that is, I think it kind of still took a backseat to gap control and situational awareness. Uh, and I think back to I believe it was game five against the Capitals, um, where in the third period, I don't know if it was Kuznetsov that had a goal where Latang and Dumoulin just absolutely miscommunicated with each other and left the entire middle of the ice open. Uh, you know, those situations were just uh, all too frequent. And when pressed, not pressed about that, but when asked about it in camp, uh, Latang's response was, I underestimated, paraphrasing here, I underestimated uh, the effect that fatigue could have on me mentally. And I thought that was a good answer. I mean, it, and it stands to reason, right? Um, if you're out there gassed and, and you didn't have that full summer to prepare and train the way that you, you normally would, that, that's where those mistakes manifest themselves. Uh, so the amount of work that he put in in the off season um, and even the situation, you know, you think about it, you know, his, his, um, uh, they had a, a second child, you know, just recently too, which is something that, you know, um, is obviously in the back of his head while he's playing. And I think things have kind of settled in and, and routine has reestablished for him. I think if you want to get an idea of how he's doing, uh, look at how he's pinching and how he's controlling the breakout and, and in the reverse direction. I think when he's up on top of the blue line and up on top of the red line with a good, strong gap, uh, he's such a good skater that he really makes life difficult uh, for the opposing team star players. And I think when things get lax for him, uh, those areas aren't as strong uh, and it ends up hurting the Penguins uh, really I think on both ends of the ice. One other thing you mentioned that I agree with Jesse is the third line that they've kind of found and has worked a lot throughout camp now with Dominic Simone, Derek Broussard, and Brian Rust. They were great in that preseason game against Buffalo which may be no big deal because Buffalo didn't really play a good lineup but against the Capitals Simone's Corsi percentage was 78.9 Broussard was on the ice for eight high danger scoring chances for zero against Russ got moved up and double shifted a lot. And he was still on the ice for 11 high danger chances for none against. So those three guys especially are clicking right now and really been tilting the ice majorly for the Penguins. What's some of the things that they're doing that's making them effective? Cause a lot of it's kind of flying a little bit under the radar, even though they did combine to score a goal, a very important goal by Broussard. But other than that, what's, what's kind of, been their mo of how they're able to be so effective so far i think i would point to again two things the first is their ability to utilize the area behind the net to create their scoring chances um, and i wouldn't refer to those as high low plays because uh, it's not the puck's not going all the way up to the top of the circle but they're keeping it sort of triangular um, if you want to think of their setup it's almost triangular with the net being in the center uh, so you have two players on either side uh, with one guy uh, you know having two options uh, available to him uh, to distribute the puck to from behind the goal. And that's a tough thing to defend when all three players 
uh, on that line are capable of just grinding it out in the boards and making life miserable. I think what stood out to me in that first game against the Capitals, we all know the Penguins, um, to the good and the bad, are sometimes a little too fanciful with how they decide they're going to get the puck in the offensive zone. <laughs> and I think that's a nice way of putting it, but I think sometimes they get, you know, things get a little carried away. Um, I think they had a problem with that on the power play last year with some of the drop pass stuff they were doing. But that Broussard line is very no-nonsense about how they uh, get the puck into the offensive zone. It's just straight ahead uh, and, and a lot of support on the wings. Um, so when you see, you know, Broussard leading the charge, he's got somebody attached to fix to his hip there. Should he get engaged in a puck battle, there's now two players that can step in uh, to fight for that loose puck as opposed to one. And that's something that Mike Sullivan talks a lot about, and I think they're executing it arguably better than anybody else on the team right now. So for me, uh, those two things are, you know, they're very day one. Um, this isn't reinventing the wheel, uh, but I think when given the talent level and the skill set of the players involved, it's worked out pretty well so far. We saw there was uh, no shortage of goals being scored by either side. Uh, offense was certainly on display against the Capitals. But one of the more interesting things I saw after the game ended, looking at some of the stat lines, and looking at ice time in particular, a name that really stood out to me was Daniel Sprong and his lack of ice time. Sprong only playing six minutes and 47 seconds of total ice time. Jesse, do you think this is something that, you know, even even if it is a one-game sample size, is this something to keep monitoring going forward? Uh, or, or is this something to just shrug off and, and hope that, you know, Sprong might be able to find his footing, you know, as the season now starts to get underway? Well, it's only a one-game sample size, but it's the latest in a continuing downward trend uh, for him since camp started. And if you consider the fact that he came in affixed to the Crosby unit at the top of the, the lineup, uh, that worked out for a little bit. And then he started to kind of trickle down and down and down, and the ice time got cut. And the next thing you know, it's opening night, and he plays six minutes. So I, uh, I, I'll be honest with, with you. I, I don't know what it is that they see that they dislike so much. Um, you know, we, we've been told it's defense. We've been told it's puck support. We've been told it's board work. I don't think it stands to reason, guys, that this player was in essentially the 98th percentile of scoring in the American Hockey League last year and had that many problems. And he has a good shot, but it's not that good. It's not, it's not, it's not a Phil Kessel-level snipe, right? You know, like, I think that we have to you know, establish a foundation here of a level of understanding of what Daniel Sprong is going to provide you. So clearly something is wrong, right? Because you've got the results on one hand and it, of course, look, it's the American hockey league and maybe Daniel Sprung is in like the quad a portion of his development where he's too good for the American hockey league, but not good enough for the national hockey league. Um, but they've identified something that they don't like. And I think that's clear. And you know, what happens tonight in Montreal, I, I would think that if the Penguins can get control of that game and, and get out to a lead, uh, you might get a little bit more of him. I think one of the reasons that his ice time was so low was um, the special team situations combined with the fact that, you know, the Penguins are playing catch up or trying to take the lead um, back uh, at, at certain points in that game. But um, for whatever reason, you know, it, it's the coaching staff's got something identified and, I don't expect that trend to magically change anytime soon until he finds the back of the net because, you know, goals, they can account for a lot in, in, in player evaluation. When the puck's going in, um, people start to ignore a lot of other stuff. So I think scoring is the one thing Daniel Sprong can do to really help himself right now. 
Yeah, and to your point there, Jesse, I think if you looked at Sprong's stats, he was a point-of-game player in the American League last year, but a lot of that came in waves and streaks. He would go 5-10 games without doing too much, and I think at one point he was even a healthy scratch there to kind of make a point to him and get the message through. So he's kind of a guy, when he scores, it's in bunches and it's very streaky, as a lot of skilled offensive wingers tend to be. But his problem to me seems like circumstance because everything you hear about Sidney Crosby, he loves the guys like Chris Kunitz, Pascal Dupuis, who are his wingers that are going to back check like mad dogs, who are very good in the corners, that can win battles all over the ice, get the pucks back for Sid, and really be reliable as to, you know, Sid knows where they're going to be, exactly where they're supposed to be, right when they need to be. And that to Sprong doesn't really seem like his his game, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just, I think, a fact that he's more of a perimeter skill slot player that's going to find a hole and then exploit it. And that doesn't really mesh with what we've seen Sidney Crosby do. So if he can't play on that line, then line two, you've got Evgeny Malkin, Phil Kessel, and there's obviously no place for Sprong there. And then line three now, they've really found something that works there unless they're going to move Russ to the left side, which I don't think they really want to do because he has, even though he's flexible, he seems like the guy, like he's their third line right winger right now. He can move around, but the team obviously is working well with him. So it's almost a fit thing that they had this good player in Sprong who doesn't do a lot, but he, he's obviously talented but they have no place for him. So I, I think that'll be a, a difficulty going forward because where do you slot in this talented player who doesn't really exactly fit, especially with a deep right wing side. So to your, to your point there, do you see anything changing where unless the score, the game gets out of hand and they can work him around? Is there any place for him right now on the Penguins these days? Well, I'll, so I you make a, a couple good points. And, and one of them is, is the scoring winger, consistency discussion right and I think that Phil Kessel had a phenomenal regular season uh, last year almost one had a legitimate chance to win the scoring title for a minute uh, and then kind of cooled off in the playoffs I think we all assumed it was because he was hurt when in reality that might have been the first real serious cold stretch that hit Phil Kessel in a long time and you know uh, being very familiar with Pensburg, I know your takes on this were you know were always very reasonable but you're well aware there are a lot of people that stir that up into controversy. Uh, and then it becomes, well, he did he wasn't helping the team because the puck wasn't going in. And defensively, he's horrible. Uh, the coach doesn't like him. They're going to trade him. Um, how can anybody like this guy? And it's just, how did we get to this point? Like, how did we go so quickly from Phil Kessel, Art Ross Trophy, this is fantastic, to got to get rid of this guy. He can't, he's just not going to work out. I don't understand that. Uh, I think Daniel Sprong, it has the same thing about him that Phil Kessel does in that when the puck's not going in uh, and when the thing that they're really off to do the most isn't happening, all the other little things uh, that you can analyze that you would normally be okay living with become a much larger problem. Uh, and I think that's true. That's not just sent, that's not penguin centric. Um, I think that's league centric. Um, and I think, you know, look at a guy like Patrick Laine. I think he's been able to avoid that just because he never stops scoring. So there's never really that point where you're like, oh, it's been 20 games. What's going on? It's been five, 10 games. Um, but on the lineup side of it, Mike Sullivan, and, he'll, and he said this a lot, is very much a fan of lines that have all three sort of archetypal players on them, right? So one line's got the shooter, you know, you've got the, the passer, the shooter, and the grinder. Um, I think that's what he opts for. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out 
Sarong's ability to play alongside Crosby and Gensel. Just don't think that I really have seen enough of it to be able to make a determination. Um, what data we do have is very limited, and it's from January of 2018. So, I, you know, we're looking, we're talking about 50 minutes. Um, for me, at this early juncture in the season, if there's a time to experiment, it's now. Um, you know, you're not behind the eight ball in any way. Uh, you know, you look around what's going on in the Metropolitan Division, you got several teams that are, you know, rebuilding right now and are just in complete states of flux. Uh, I'd throw them up there for at least, you know, eight, five to eight games and just establish a baseline and see what you have. Um, what's happening? What's the video tell us? What does the analytics tell us? Is this working? Um, I do think that the problem with that is there's not a lot of defense on that Crosby unit if you could play it that way. And I think Sidney Crosby is in a position in his career where he wants to do less of that work. <laughs> um, so, you know, that, that creates an issue. But to your point right now, there's only one spot for him and it's on the fourth line. Maybe that is a message in and of itself is that, you know, Matt Cullen is, is pretty good at the things we want you to be good at. Um, so here, go play with him for a while and let's see what happens. So uh, it's a multifaceted situation, but I, I still think that at his age, you know, we, we got to remember where he's at in his development and give him time. I'm sorry, that was a really long winded answer, uh, but it's a good conversation to have. So I appreciate it. Appreciate you. Yeah, no me doubt. To, yeah, uh, deliver a dissertation there. No, no, we always, always a Jesse dissertation is good. And to your point, to some of the points you brought up, which are just excellent. Um, if he is, I think Daniel Sprong is c comparable in a lot of ways to Phil Kessel because those are guys that aren't really helping the team unless they're filling the net. And Phil Kessel in his career is near a point a game player in the NHL. He obviously gets a lot of ice time, a lot of power play time to do so. But he's a guy you can count on basically to get you almost 30 goals a year. And that's going to lead the power play from the wall and get a ton of assists there. So I, And that's really where Sprong struggled. I saw a stat on Twitter the other day that I think out of Sprong's now 27 career NHL games, I think he only has points in like four or five of them including the game against the Capitals. I think point four might be rounding up, Jim. I think that's actually <laughs> yeah. might be lower. Yeah. Yes. So uh, it's hard for a guy like Sprong. It's, it's almost like a vicious cycle because he can't establish himself unless he gets an opportunity, but he's not going to get the opportunity unless he's really proving to Mike Sullivan that he's going to contribute something. So I think to your to your point is, is exactly spot on that it's the beginning of the year. It's game, you know, two, three out of 82 these days. So why not give him a chance? Why not give him more minutes? I, I can certainly understand you're playing the Capitals, your rival, it's a tight game, and the, that fourth line was on a goal against for their first shift, so I'm sure that sours a coach immediately, even though it wasn't really their fault, mm -hmm. but still, you know, when you go out there and the puck goes in the wrong net, that's that's a good way to get stapled to the bench for the rest of the game, especially in a tight game. Uh, yeah, for sure, and uh, we know Mike Sullivan's not afraid to do that, so um, I think, and, and, and again, I do think that the pace of the game, the way the scoreline played out over time, uh, all of those things, you know, if the Penguins had kept a 6-4 lead as that third period had wound down, I wouldn't have been shocked to see that fourth line get some ice time and the spread to be a little bit more even. Um, things kind of fell apart pretty quickly there. And I think the Penguins wanted that the two points out of that game, uh, and rightfully so. Um, so, yeah, for well, tonight, I think we'll see a, not that Montreal is going to be a pushover. I mean, they took, you know, Toronto to overtime on opening night. Um, so I, you know, that this isn't going to be a cakewalk. Um, but if the Penguins can take control of this game, and I think we're going to see Mike Sullivan deploy 
uh, his his uh, personnel in a little bit of a different fashion. Once again, we are joined by Jesse Marshall. You can follow him on Twitter if you don't already at jmarshfof. His work is at theathletic.com, which is excellent site. They do great work over there. So if for some reason you're not a subscriber there, it's definitely, I think, worth the money just for the Penguins alone. And then they have every sport under the sun. So get on that. And Jesse, one of the things you wrote this off season was about breaking down the Penguins' defensive structure. And I really like your articles there where you're taking screenshots and you're breaking things down and really explaining what they're trying to do and how they're trying to do it. And we didn't see too much defensive structure in that chances. You could tell those were both two very veteran, very skilled teams that were just having some fun out there playing wide open hockey. And Friday, Mike Sullivan obviously was trying to buckle down and saying, look, we don't want to play this game because we would win this game five times. We lose this game five times. And he was absolutely right, I think, in, in that regard. So what do you think the Penguins really need to do aside from from, you know, actually try without the puck. And it's early in the season. Obviously, it's not playoffs. It's it's not critical that they buckle down. It's unrealistic to expect them as the way they're built just to be a defensive team 82 games out of the year. But they can't be leaving Matt Murray out to dry like they were. So did you notice anything from the Washington game that they specifically need to do better? Or do you think it's just a matter of early season and they're just being lax because it doesn't really matter at this point? Well, I don't think that their defensive zone structure is ever really problematic for them. Uh, and, and, and when I say structure there, I mean, the, you know, the other team dumps the puck in, they start a cycle, right? And now they've got an established period of possession in the defensive zone. I think the Penguins always handle that really well, more often than not. And it's, again, they make it a numbers game, right? So wherever the puck goes, they're going to shift the pressure of the play to that side. Um, and they kind of divide the, the ice into two halves uh, and split up their responsibilities across both where they get into trouble is in the neutral zone and that's where they haven't uh been very good i think when they've struggled um now that that's like a that's twofold for me i on one hand it's puck management i think a lot of the penguins problems when you look at the malkin turnover that led to the uh, tj oshi goal uh you can't give a puck like that to a player like tj oshi and especially in that situation um and, and malkin knows that and, and I, you know I, I doubt we're going to see that happen again for a while um, but, you know, that, that puck management stuff is what creates those odd man rushes and puts Matt Murray in, you know, less than ideal situations. Uh, and I think that if you look from a data perspective last year, the Penguins were the eighth best team in the National Hockey League in limiting shot, uh, shot attempt opportunities. So from a Corsi against perspective, uh, eighth best team in the league from a, uh, an expected goals against perspective, which now we're looking at more in-depth shot data and scoring chances, um, they were, you know, in the bottom half of the league. So, uh, you know, I, I think that speaks to their ability to play well in their own zone when they have to. They just have to get better uh, in the neutral zone uh, and start playing defense uh, earlier, if you will, uh, and not allowing those uh, up and down chances to just go back and forth like that. Gotcha. Yeah. And one of the things that I noticed that really drives me wild, I know one of the keys to the Penguins system and their whole offensive mindset is they activate their defensemen. They want guys to pinch. They want guys to try to hold that blue line on the offensive end. But a lot of times that gets them into trouble, especially when you got a great counterattacking team like the Capitals that have speed and offensive ability on their own. I saw there was one goal when Alexiak tried to pinch. And then the play went the other way, and Justin Schultz had to defend a two-on-one. And I don't think you ever want Justin Schultz to defend a two-on-one because good things just aren't going to happen in that scenario. And, of course, mm. the goal was scored. 
So do you think that's kind of live by the sword, die by the sword as far as the Penguins pinching? And that's just their strategy. That's who they are. And they're going to deal with with some of the negative consequences that comes from that. Or do you think they're going to try to tighten that up a little more and maybe play a little more conservatively? Uh, I, I don't know that the, I would use the word conservatively. Uh, smarter might be, I think, a better one. And I think what Mike Sullivan's point was yesterday was, look, uh, these things, you know, pitching, you know, pinching uh, and joining the rush and, and taking uh, the breakout into your own hands. Uh, these should be things that we accept naturally, right? So we pick our head up, we assess, our, we assess the situation, and then we can move from there. Uh, more often than not, I, I think what his point was is that they're overthinking it. Um, and they're, they're, they're maybe thinking one step too far ahead of themselves. And if they can just allow it to come to them, um, and them being, in this case, uh, the defensive core, uh, if they can just allow it to, to happen naturally and organically, uh, they won't have to, you know, put themselves in these precarious situations. So I, I think right now it, it, you probably can chalk a little bit of it up to the early season yips um, and, and trying to get the tempo back. Um, but you're, you know, to your point, I, I do, I also, it, it's a double-edged sword for them because I think that one of the reasons players like Justin Schultz and Jamie Alexiak get quote unquote uh, rehabilitated when they come here is they receive the freedom to skate and the freedom to do things that maybe they weren't, um, doing before. Uh, and I think that aligns with the act more natural mantra. These are guys that were playing in, in somewhat restrictive systems where, you know, the decision-making processes were, you know, sometimes three, four, five steps. And I think with the Penguins, they, they really simplify it and make it a little bit easier for, for defensemen to come in here and just do what comes naturally. So I think if they could do that, um, they're going to mitigate those chances and they'll be just fine. Jesse, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule uh, to join us on the second episode of the Pensburg podcast. One thing that our friend, our other Pensburg contributor, Mike Darnay, one thing he did on the last episode of Dying Alive, uh, I need to make sure we plug Dying Alive because I need to return the favor to Mike and Pat and yourself for for plugging this podcast on that show. So Jesse, before you get out of here, I just want to make all of our uh, listeners know that Jesse uh, Pat Damp and Mike Darnay are all chatting about the Penguins on their own podcast called Dying Alive. And uh, Jesse, if you want to give some more details about that podcast, feel free to do it right now. Yeah, I mean, we're only on episode four, so we don't know what we're really doing yet, which makes it, I think, kind of fun <laughs> um, because you never know what's going to happen. Uh, Pat's got a new microphone, uh, so that's exciting for him. Uh, Mike has one now, too. I'm the only one that hasn't bought in yet. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, we try to just have takes, you know, and then whether they fall on the good side or the bad side, you know, we just let them fall like the chips, you know, that the takes are out there and we're exposing them to the world and y'all can be the judge. One of the last things that um, I was listening, I listened to the, the last episode and you guys were doing over unders for a whole bunch of different scenarios. And it was hilarious. Uh, we were all talking in the group chat uh, during the game the other night. And the first thing I brought up when, as soon as I saw Gensel score the second goal, I said, I'm taking the over as soon as soon as I saw that puck in the back of the net, I'm taking the over on whatever you guys decided what Jake Gensel's goal total was going to be. I think Mike said it was 27 and you guys all took the under. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he could have scored four. Four goals that but, game. But, but to be fair, though, I did say I'll take the over if he starts getting a lot of power play goals. Um, and he did get one. So, I mean, I was kind of right. Just saying. Just saying. All right. Semantically speaking, I'm correct. 
Yeah, he could have easily had three or four. He shot that one puck that Sid gave him on a platter right back in the hole. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, there yeah. was that, was that right before the Capitals scored, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, like that guy, he's going to get so many chances and he's good enough where he's going to put the majority of them in. So, yeah, I would have to agree. I, I think at this point, especially with him, that second power play looked great, too. So, yeah, contract year is going to be a big year for old Jake the Snake. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jesse, thank you so much, like I said, for taking the time out of your schedule to come join us, uh, providing your really thorough, thoughtful, and awesome expertise on how you break down the Penguins. Thank you so much, and I'm sure we'll have you on uh, as the season progresses. Uh, Thanks, gentlemen. I appreciate it. That was Jesse Marshall from The Athletic. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at J-M-A-R-S-H-F-O-F. Uh, and if you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, I, I highly recommend just subscribing. For, for Jesse's content alone, is great just to learn how the game of hockey is played and the way he breaks down the Penguin system. Really, how he describes the X's and O's is fantastic. Just a few house cleaning things before we wrap up the second episode of the Pensburg podcast. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at GBehanna, G-B-E-H-A-N-N-A. You can also follow Jimmy on Twitter at Hooks underscore Orpic. Don't forget, we also have an email address that you can send in feedback, listener questions, all sorts of fun things. You can send anything you want to Podcast at gmail.com. Also, now that we finally have our legs under us here as the season is well underway, we are on every streaming service imaginable. You can find us, rate us, and subscribe to us on your platform of choice, whether that be iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Google Play, uh, the variety of outlets to get your podcast needs. We are available on all of them. So if you like what you're listening to, feel free to give us a rate and subscribe to the podcast to be alerted when new episodes go up every single week. For Jimmy Rexner, I have been the Castle Run Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new edition of the Pensburg Podcast.